This is Bumi Akinasotu, the creator and producer of What in the World. The conversation today on modern day slavery and human trafficking around the world does contain some language that is graphic in nature. So please be advised and do what you need to do to continue listening to the show. I usually don't like to talk about this because, again, it's so new to me to really express, like, yes, I was raped. I was raped while I was in the house by an African-American man, and I didn't even know what was going on because what was that? It's now that I come to understand that whole issue. You know, but maybe that man, instead of raping me, would have said something, but he didn't say anything. You are listening to What in the World right here on WERA 96.7 FM, Arlington, Virginia, and streaming online at wera.fm. I am your host, Bumi Akinasotu. That was the voice of Evelyn Chumbao, a survivor of modern-day slavery and now an abolitionist. Evelyn was just nine years old when her uncle, on the promise of education and work opportunities, sold her to a Cameroonian family living in Maryland. During her decade in captivity, Evelyn never went to school, was forced to labor for her family, was violently abused and sexually assaulted. She finally built up enough courage to report her situation to a Catholic priest who subsequently contacted the authorities, and the rest is history. The issue of human trafficking and modern-day slavery reared its ugly head when a CNN video surfaced of a Nigerian man being sold into slavery in Libya for just $400. Like many of you, I was shocked and deeply disturbed. But I also wanted to know more about what the root causes were, what could be done, and, and of course, how did it affect me as an American? New Bethel Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. joined many around the country to commemorate and honor the dreams and, I would argue, the call to action of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. They did so by hosting an event called Libya and Modern Day Slavery, The Truth and the Challenge. The event was a panel discussion and included Terry Fitzpatrick of Free the Slaves, Martina Vandenberg of the Human Trafficking Legal Center, and of course, Evelyn, the voice of the woman who you heard earlier on the show. The panel was moderated by Nicole Lee, past president of TransAfrica. From the grassroots level to the systemic issues, each panelist brought to light the horrifying truths of modern-day slavery and also the encouraging actions taken in America and around the world to finally end this tragedy. In what is a condensed version of the panel, you'll learn about the statistics of modern-day slavery, the internal and external forces that fuel it to begin with. And of course, because this is a show about foreign policy, you'll learn about America's role in Libya and how it's created instability in the country. And you'll learn what you can do to make a difference. Thank you for listening. Now on to the discussion. Good afternoon. My name is Dee Hunter. I'm the executive director of the Civil Rights Center and a member here at New Bethel Baptist Church. Really want to thank everyone for coming out today uh, for this non-traditional Martin Luther King Day event. We're having this event today in, in not just a memory, not, to, not just to, to remember Dr. King, uh, but to remember his legacy. And that's a legacy of fighting for social change, that's a leg- legacy of fighting for freedom, uh, a legacy of fighting for, for justice. Uh, Martin Luther King said that where there is not freedom, there is death. And we know that there are some 40 million people throughout the world 
who are subjected to modern-day slavery. Justice and freedom were two of the many pillars of, of Dr. King's philosophies for making the world a little easier to live. At just 25, he became the pastor of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, where he began to try and put these ideas to action. If any group is familiar with these actions and the teachings of Dr. King, it's the black church, both the supporters and opposers. Here now is the pastor of New Bethel Baptist Church, Pastor Dexter Nottall. He shares the civil rights history of the church and why it's so important for people of faith to put their feet to work against modern day slavery. Thank you to our panelists. I'm gonna be very brief so we can hear uh, from them. I uh, just want to give you some perspective. Uh, New Bethel uh, is a church that has always been about the work of justice. My predecessor, Walter Fontroy, was at the forefront of justice and justice movements um, across uh, the country and even across the world. When we think about uh, the March on Washington, the original March on Washington, he was one of the primary organizers of that. When we think about the Free South Africa movement, anybody remember the Free South Africa movement? He was uh, one of the key uh, leaders in that regard. And so justice has always been part of who it is that we are as a church in the fabric of, of this uh, community of believers. Uh, but, but it is more than just uh, a world issue. It's a gospel issue for us. It really is a gospel issue. And so Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose birthday we celebrate this weekend, uh, he wrote in 1963 that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. For we're, we're caught into an inescapable web of mutuality, meaning we will either rise together or we will fall together. Uh, and, and he wrote that letter, what many people don't know. He didn't write it to the world, he wrote it to the church. He wrote it to clergy persons who did not like the fact that he was fighting and opposing injustice uh, in a very vigorous and aggressive way. Why? Because it is a gospel issue. It's a gospel proposition for us. And so shame on those who make the kinds of comments that we've been hearing about over the last 48 hours. Shame on those who make those kinds of comments and shame on those who would call themselves people of faith and endorse those comments by remaining silent. We have a prophetic responsibility. We have a prophetic obligation for just as Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord was upon him. We believe that the spirit of the Lord is upon us. For he has anointed us to preach good news, not just here in the Shaw community on this corner of 9th and S, but literally across the country and across the world. So thank you. And my prayer today is that you would be inspired to put feet to your faith, to take action, to engage, to do something, to root out the darkness that is so much part of this world that we live in and usher in some light in order that the world might be a better place. Amen. All right, with that, we're going to get started. Um, I'm going to introduce our moderator for the day, um, Nicole Lee Esquire. She is a human rights attorney. She's a, a strategist, a coach, uh, and diversity and equity inclusion trainer, a strategic campaigner. She works with community organizations to ensure their voices and concerns are heard. She was the first female president of TransAfrica, the nation's premier African-American foreign affairs organization. From Haiti to Ferguson, She's led international and domestic investigations and missions documenting human and civil rights violations. With that, I want to th bring up Ms. Nicole Lee Esquire. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Come on, New Bethel. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. That's right. I mean, 
I, I was going to say a, an official thank you to Pastor Nuttall, but it took everything in me not to start shouting. Thank you. Thank you for what you said. You know, this morning I woke up and I was watching um, AM Joy. I love Joy Reid. And I watched a pastor, frankly, just denigrate my faith. To, to say that's what's been said about our brothers and sisters around the world is no big deal. Or even to justify it. I am so pleased to be in the house of the Lord, one, but to know that that house is committed to justice. And here you all are at noon on a Saturday to talk about justice, to talk about people you've never met and probably won't meet, to talk about issues that, okay, maybe don't affect your daily life, and yet they matter, because the word says it matters because we know in our heart it matters. Um, to my right, we have Terry Fitzpatrick, and he is uh, with Free the Slaves, and he is a communications and advocacy director for them. He started off his career as a journalist and a media development expert who serves as a communications and advocacy strategist, chief writer, a film producer, media relations officer, and spokesperson for Free the Slaves. We've both lived in South Africa, and he did a lot of work after apartheid to make sure that local radio stations in places like Kailicha, um, and I'm sure in many others, were able to get their voices heard as well. Next to him, we have Evelyn Chumbo. Evelyn is a survivor and child labor trafficking victim turned anti-trafficking activist and public speaker, and she focuses her life's work on ending modern-day slavery. Evelyn was brought to the U.S. from Cameroon at age nine and forced to cook, clean, and care for her traffickers' children. She was never paid for her work. And really, there was no hope that she was going to be able to escape that life um, because she was under constant threat and beatings from her trafficker. But we're here to say she did. She did. And today, yeah, that, that deserves a shout. And today, Evelyn works tirelessly to raise awareness and help other survivors. She serves as an advisor to human trafficking NGOs like Free the Slaves. Um, she has been invited to brief government agencies about human tra trafficking from a survivor's experience, including the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, and the Department of Justice. She's invited regularly to speak around the world about her expertise, including the White House. And she serves as an advocate and mentor for fellow survivors. And last but not least is Martina Vandenberg, who is the founder and president of the Human Trafficking Legal Center, or HT Legal. And she established that in 2012. And, and just a little aside, when we were speaking, um, one of the things that I know you're going to want to hear about is accountability. And that's what Martina works on every day. What is the accountability when this happens to folks? She has spent two decades fighting human trafficking, forced labor, rape as a war crime, and violence against women. Vandenberg has, repre has represented victims of human trafficking and pro bono immigration, criminal, and civil cases. She has testified before the Congress in multiple venues. 
And through HT Legal, she has trained more than 3,200 pro bono attorneys nationwide to handle human trafficking matters. She previously worked at Human Rights Watch and investigated trafficking for forced prostitution in post-conflict Bosnia-Herzegovina. Let's welcome her as well. Nicole Lee was joined by three phenomenal panelists, providing both personal and professional context to the issue of modern-day slavery and human trafficking. We begin the conversations with Terry Fitzpatrick, Director of Communications and Advocacy for Free the Slaves. He provides some data on the issue, the various types of forced labor that exists, and he hints at some of the reasons why modern-day slavery and human trafficking continues to exist in places like Libya. So to the big view, um, new statistics came out in the fall at the United Nations and no set of estimates is perfect, including these. But the most current global estimate of modern forms of slavery is 40 million people worldwide. And about 25 million of those are in what's known as forced labor, working on mines, on farms, on fishing boats, at timber camps, in factories, on farms, rubber plantations around the world. About five million are um, working in forced prostitution or the commercialized sex industry. And about 15 million are trapped in what is now being recognized as a new form, a newly recognized form of modern slavery, forced marriage. We make a distinction here between arranged marriage, traditional arranged marriage, and women who are kidnapped from schools um, or are sold off by girls who are sold off by their fathers to pay a debt. This is forced marriage, not traditional arranged marriage. So that's 40 million individuals, and that's how it kind of breaks down into the different sets of it. Its worst, the biggest concentration, is in South Asia, in India, Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh, in that area, and in Central and West Africa in particular, all the way from the Democratic Republic of the Congo up through Senegal and Ghana. And these are, there's reasons why these places in particular have this highest concentration, and we can get into that as we go along through the, uh, through the afternoon. But there's two general drivers of slavery today, modern forms of slavery today. One is unsafe migration. That's what we see happening in Libya. There are millions of people on the move, and it's their right to be on the move. It's universally recognized as a fundamental human right that people have the right to movement. Um, But there are so many people moving from impoverished and disadvantaged rural areas to megacities and from poorer countries to wealthier countries. Either they're fleeing conflict or they're looking for a better life for them or they're looking for income to send home in remittances. And people, uh, traffickers, pose as legitimate labor recruiters, tricking people into thinking there'll be a better life at the end of the journey. And once people are away from their family, their language, their legal system, um, that's when the hammer falls. Now, what we see in Libya is largely an ungoverned or loosely governed section of land that has now become a funnel for migrants moving from parts of Africa 
to Europe, migrating, but along the way, they are especially vulnerable. And there have been choke points, particularly on the beach in Libya, caused in part by factional fighting that creates these large camps of migrants waiting to get across the Mediterranean. And that's where these auctions have started, where people needing labor are being, are, are praying, are targeting people that they're most vulnerable. And that's what we see in Libya. It's not the only migration path. There are huge swaths of individuals moving from parts of South Asia interior towards the fishing fleet and that taints the fish we get. And there are, there's migration from Central America coming up through to the United States. So there are large migration pathways. But what we've seen recently is what is happening in Libya. And it's one of the most um, overt and visible forms, but it's not the only thing that's happening today. I don't know about you, but I got goosebumps when Terry mentioned the word slave auction. We've heard this phrase used in the context of slavery here in the United States, but it was something else when he said it here in this 21st century, the image of a slave being auctioned off like those in Libya is just really hard to wrap my brain around. We're a long ways from abolishing slavery worldwide. It happened many, many years ago, but yet there's little legal ramifications and cases where traders and traffickers are actually being persecuted. Martina Vandenberg, president of the Human Trafficking Legal Center explains. I find it so interesting that Oftentimes, people in the U.S. say, oh, that is a shame. Nothing like that could ever happen here. These perpetrators, in order for you to do anything about it, they have to be able to touch, or they're, they're touching the United States in some way, shape, or form. So this has everything to do with us. So can you talk a little bit about that, and what are the accountability measures you're working towards? So I couldn't agree more. Nicole, if you think this is only happening in Libya, then think again, because just miles, even blocks from the White House, there's human trafficking and modern day forms of slavery here in the United States. And let me just give you one example. As Terry has already said, the vast majority of human trafficking that we see around the world is actually into forced labor. Unfortunately, the vast majority of prosecutions that we see around the world are only for sex only for sex trafficking. That anomaly, that dichotomy is hugely troubling to all of us who work on issues of forced labor. So let me give you the numbers. Terry gave you the number of about 25 million people held. Of those, about 21 million are held in forms of actual forced labor of a non-sexual type. The latest data that we have indicate that there were 14,897 prosecutions in the entire world total for sex and for labor. But the percentage of those, the number of those for forced labor was 1,038. So for 20, I just want to clarify. So you're saying for 25, 21 million cases, yes, there was 1,000 something. That's exactly right. In the United States last year, there were 13 prosecutions for forced labor in the entire country. Evelyn knows, I know, we work here in the United States, we deal with victims of forced labor every day. Forced labor happens here, but it's almost never prosecuted. 
So just miles away from the White House, here in the United States, there was a woman brought from Tanzania, held for four years, locked in a house, worked 14 to 16 hours a day, paid nothing, her documents taken, threatened with deportation, threatened with physical violence, her family at home in Tanzania threatened. Was that case prosecuted? No. Why? Well, partly because the perpetrator was a high-ranking diplomat from Tanzania. So a lot of the cases we see here in this area, Virginia, Maryland, DC, are cases of diplomats. The one point I want to leave with you, just as food for thought, I've been doing this work for more than 20 years. Every single trafficking survivor I have represented has had a legal visa to be in the United States. So all of this talk about undocumented migrants, people with visas are also vulnerable. This theme of abuse of power and authority came up a lot during this discussion, and it's quite disheartening to know that I live in a place where just down the road, foreign diplomats and others are bringing people here against their will. Here now is Evelyn Chubau, our modern-day Harriet Tubman, giving us a glimpse of her life as a slave worker and how she escaped. You know, to make the story short, didn't go to school from age 9 until 17. Um, my trafficker used one passport and brought six of us here, and one of them was my cousin. I ran away. I went to a church, Catholic church. I went and met a priest, and I told them my situation. You know, I got help from there. There was law enforcement, uh, people from NGO, lawyers that came. I um, went to the Catholic Charity right here in D.C. I told my story, they investigated my story. So my story was one of the first year in Maryland to be investigated all the way back to Cameroon. And when I met my family, they talked to my family, you know, got out, got into foster care, foster care, another journey. Right here, I was water state in D.C., southeast. Escaped that, <laughs> went to school, got my GED, got my bachelor's, got my associate, and then I work in a law firm. I'm just trying to make it short because we're just going to be here all day. And again, just to let you guys know that modern days do slavery do exist. And when you think of human trafficking, do not automatically think sex trafficking because that's what we get it confused all the time. And yes, Africans are being sold every day. It's, it's a reality. It never ended. It has been going on for years. It's just now it's a hidden crime. And so people like me, I use my story to educate people. I usually like to consider myself the next Harriet Tubman. You know, I have to make sure nobody becomes a victim to this issue, especially for me that it happened at age nine. So, and I have bruises in my body to prove it. I had, a, like I said, I took off my clothes. I was getting beat up every day, scars, everything. You know when you see a little one and you're like, mm, there's something up there. And, and, and the reasons why they didn't stop to say, That's, that doesn't feel right. A lot of people did see me. I was taking kids to the school bus. I was taking kids to the playground. But I'm sorry, I came to learn this whole thing in America. And nobody want to be a snitch. You know, like people just wanted to mind their business. 
People wanted to be nosy. Nobody wanted to question why this little child was taking another child to school or was working in the playground. Was nobody. Everybody just wanted to just mind their business. And that's, that's what I learned in America. Nobody want to be involved. Nobody want to be the nosy neighbor. I'm sorry when it comes to issue like this, you have to be a nosy neighbor. Because to be honest, I probably would have been rescued at 13 or 14 than to wait such a long time. But because... We just have this mentality, I don't want to be a snitch. So what Evelyn said is so important. And, you know, there's a hotline that people can call. Uh, the number is 888-3737-888. And they take tips if someone sees something, as Nicole says, that's not right. And one of the tips that came in on that hotline was a tip from a neighbor in a different case who said, I see a woman... She only comes out of the house to take out the garbage, and she looks sad. That was the tip. That woman was being held in forced labor and had been held for three years and paid nothing. Right? So that niggling feeling that Nicole is describing, if someone had responded to that niggling feeling, maybe Evelyn would have been free earlier. When, when Evelyn was talking about this whole no-snitch rule, right? We kind of see that globally, too. I just want to make sure we get the full global picture, that in some ways, the, 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 the world powers, if you will, United States and Europe, know that this is a problem. They know that trafficking is a problem, and the most vulnerable in our societies are susceptible to it, and they know the numbers. Why aren't they doing more? And what do we need to do to push them to do more? Um, it is illegal everywhere by global treaty and by laws. Individual countries have laws, every country in the world. But slavery never ended, it was outlawed. Part of it is your own eyes and ears and your own sense of making your community, any community, globally, locally, not safe for criminals to operate. Now, at a local level, I'm a fan of Colby King's columns in the Washington Post, and he's written quite a bit about police traf and trafficking and complicity and or just blinders that people turn on. Say more and, about that, because that's actually very important and links to some other movements that folks might be involved in, like the Black Lives Matter movement. Say more specifically, what is the complicity in trafficking in police? Um, there, are, there are lines, or they're called runs, um, K Street, for example, in Washington at 2.30 in the morning is, com is a, not a very pretty place. And the, what goes on with um, trafficking, it's actually very visible. And in front of 7-Eleven stores and in front of certain places, and we all know where they are because we see them. But the pressure on getting those those enabling conditions transformed is something that is a collective challenge and not just an individual challenge. Jump yeah, in on Washington. Let me just Washington. jump in because we have to be really careful about conflating prostitution and trafficking. What's on K Street is prostitution. Some of it is trafficking. In order for it to be trafficking, there has to be force, fraud, or coercion, or it has to be a child because children cannot consent to committing a commercial sex act. But let me just say one thing, Nicole. Mm -hmm. It is so much worse than complicity. Yeah. Complicity 
is the tiniest sliver of this. We're talking about hardcore corruption. Did anybody follow all of the people who were fired in Oakland from the police department yes. and why were they fired? They were fired because they were having commercial sex with a child who was trafficked. So one police chief went down, then another. That entire police station, that police department in Oakland has been decimated because of this corruption scandal. So let's call things by their name, right? This is corruption. There was just a case in New York where the feds prosecuted a police officer because he was trafficking a child. So he got 66 years in prison. Trafficking victims are required to get restitution. They're required to get compensation in criminal cases. Guess how much that child got? $5,000, right? $5,000. So we have a system with a lot of broken parts, and we need to be really vigilant. Oftentimes, especially with, within the black community, um, oftentimes we're asked to bifurcate issues, right? So we got a police brutality issue, and that's one thing. And then we have an immigrate, immigration, and we can question whether or not we're involved in that. But the same people who are beating black folks and getting off, whether they're dead or not, are the same people that are trafficking children, means it's the same systems. And, and in some cases, like in Oakland, really thinking about this as, mm, this doesn't have much to do to me, but with me, but oh, it really does. It really has everything to do with me. Human trafficking indeed has everything to do with you and me. And before we took questions and comments from the audience, Terry, Martina, and Evelyn provided some solutions that nations and individuals, ordinary folks like you and I, can do to combat human trafficking and slavery. To be completely honest, though, it seems like everything that I do, that we do, we wear, we eat, and possibly the places that we visit, not possibly, actually, for real, for real, the places that we visit are likely connected to to this issue. Um, but I found assurance uh, in some of the political and consumer pressure that we can put on our leaders and the business community. The United States does have a good reputation globally in terms of being one of the largest funders of the kind of community programs that we do and that others do, but it's nowhere near the scale of investment that needs to happen for the scope of this problem right now. Um, I'm a bit hopeful that there have been some changes. There have been, there's a new fund that has just started and has actually gotten significant investments, but, um, and, and Europe, has actually made some strides in trying to work on the problem from another direction, which is corporate accountability and liability for products that are on store shelves that are tainted by either manufacturing or components or raw materials that have been produced by modern forms of slavery. Corporate accountability working on the demand, reducing the demand either through boycotts or buying fair trade or awareness so that companies will root out any slavery in their supply chains. And the other direction is what we call community empowerment. Mm -hmm. And um, you get into the question of migration and smuggling and trafficking. And in Europe right now, there is a conflation of those as, as a way to try to block refugee and, um, and migrant 
flows into Europe. In the US, while we have made great progress in actually funding for trafficking programs themselves, um, has survived multiple political wins and seems okay at the moment. What do you want folks to do, both as individuals as well as in their collective bodies, whether that be um, as voters, as members of a church, um, as members of just our broader communities, what would you like to see? We can start and just go all the way down. What would you like to see, maybe two or three things that people can do? So I have, I have seen three things. What, what I see around the world with the lack of accountability, and by the way, like my day job is that I sue human traffickers, and by and large, we're suing human traffickers in civil court when there's no criminal case. It's their only way to get to court. So number one, that comes from a total lack of political will. So where does political will come from? Political will comes from all of you. So if we want there to be prosecutions, we need to tell the Department of Justice and our uh, Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, that we want to see prosecutions, not just for sex trafficking, but also for labor trafficking. But that political will also, number two, is consumer will, because Nicole said earlier that she feels indicted, she feels convicted. We should all feel indicted and convicted because people digging gold, how many of you have gold rings on? Children digging for all of the, all of the uh, materials that are in our cell phones. Everybody's got a cell phone, right? Every woman here wearing lipstick, the glitter in our lipstick and eyeshadow is made with mica, and mica is mined by children to some extent in India, and people held in forced labor in India. So the problem we have now is just in, as in the antebellum South, <laughs> now in the United States, our lives as consumers are infiltrated by trafficking and forced labor in every way. And so if, you, if that disturbs you, because it disturbs me, there's one thing you can do, which is go completely off the grid. I mean, I buy used clothes. I feel like that's at least something. <laughs> You can go totally off the grid, but that's not really realistic. What you can do is protest to those companies. We sue those companies. So there's a big lawsuit right now out of Canada against a mining company called Nevson. The allegation is that the mine in Eritrea, where the workers are working to mine all of the minerals, that those miners are held in forced labor. So there's a lawsuit to try and get some accountability for those Eritrean workers. So that's number two. Stand up in your political life. Number two, stand up in your life as a consumer and actually take it to these corporations that are making enormous sums of money and not paying attention to their supply chains. And then the third thing is support survivors. And I hope this is a good handoff to Evelyn because Evelyn has an initiative to try and get jobs for survivors. And so Evelyn is fighting to ask companies to do something real, to do something concrete which is to give survivors real jobs. So Evelyn, I'm handing the baton. All right, thank you. Education is the key. You know, being educated, like I usually say, um, my mother, if she understood the real reason of America, she probably would have not sent me here. If she knew that I was gonna come here being a slave, but she was not educated. Right now, I'm working with some girls that were trafficked from Cameroon to Kuwait. And we have 51 girls that are stuck in Kuwait, in shelters and they cannot go back to their country. And if you're from, if you're here, you're from Africa, speak about it, talk about it. Go to Cameroon or wherever you're from, 
just talk about the issue and don't say you don't want to be a snitch. Be a snitch, a good snitch. I absolutely appreciated Evelyn's call for accountability within the African community when it comes to the issue of human trafficking and slavery and forced labor. And as a child of African immigrants, of Nigerian immigrants to be specific, this is honestly not a topic that ever was talked about, at least in front of me. I would hear things But certainly in going to church or social gatherings or in the news, African newspapers, it's not a topic that was discussed widespread. I commend the bravery of Evelyn and so many others like her who have spoken up about the issues, who have spoken up about the external forces that create the environment where human trafficking can occur, but also have the courage to speak to those within their community and hold them accountable for the actions of their own elected officials and actions of those within their group. Later on, we talked about other ways that you can use your financial investments, such as your 401k, your stock investments, to make sure that your funds are going to socially responsible companies that are doing the right things. Speak to your financial advisor if you are interested in learning more about investments that are actually working for social good rather than against it. We wrap up our show with comments from the audience. We won't go through all of them here on this episode, but I wanted to highlight a comment that was made related to foreign policy and specifically how Libya became Libya. And we haven't talked on the show about the politic of Libya and America's relationship with the country and and the European powers relationship with Libya. This comment, though, resonated with me because it's precisely why I started this show. It illustrates sometimes the unintended consequences of American intervention abroad. While we want to spread democracy or overthrow a dictator or develop institutions that give people rights and access to the freedoms we enjoy here in America, sometimes we do so at the detriment to the people who live in that country and we create an environment that is unsafe. We we remove the elements of the rule of law and order and countries are often left in disarray. So here's a great comment about Libya and then we will wrap up the show. Um, One of the reasons why I came today was I got the email. I wanted to learn more about Libya. I wanted to also learn about what happened there. And one of the things, I did come late, so I missed the the beginning, but I'm not sure if the root cause of how Libya and the slave auctioning, um, why that happened. And if you read, um, you know, some articles about it, it really talks about the U.S. intervention Mm -hmm. in Libya. Our government had this war that was the, was going on there, took out the leader Muammar Gaddafi, which you know some people have different opinions about, but that has led to no governments or loose government, how you all said. And then this um, 
rebels that were backed by the US government, which were mainly white North Africans enslaving black Africans. So I think it is so important when we're talking about uh, supporting funds and supporting foundations that we really talk about uh, supporting African foundations and African people that can free themselves and free others and really put the emphasis on that because this is a black and, and it, it is a black and it is a white issue and we have to, like Evelyn said, be educated about why this is happening and sometimes we gloss over that and go into this is what my organization is doing. But if you're about it, if you're serious about it, you see African people freeing themselves, you gotta support African people and, and African organizations that are doing this. So thank you again. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that's an important point. When I hear corruption and I don't hear U.S. policy towards African Latin America mentioned in corruption, I can't, I can't stand, I can't be still. I can't be still. So to answer your question directly from my perspective as working on issues of North Africa, especially as it related to U.S. foreign policy and militarism in Africa, absolutely, there was a completely ill-fated and inappropriate intervention into Libya that everyone who knew anything about Libya said would cause the massive destruction that we see today. And decisions were made to do it anyway, not just under governments that we know or, or, or administrations that we don't like, but under administrations that we say we do like. So I just want to be real about that. And it is my opinion from working on that 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 has opened the corridors that my colleagues have so brilliantly described. When Terry talks about um, health care, yeah, the debt that people experience for health care is a major driver and is a major factor. But the reason why African countries have to outsource health care and have to outsource things like water is because in order to get loans from the World Bank, they are constantly asked to restructure their economies. Not on the basis of why they're voted in, but on the basis of what the United States and Europe determine is appropriate for them. I'm hearing the feeling in this room of, well, wait a minute. Why aren't we talking about the real issues? And, and, and some, of, some of these other real issues, because we are talking about real issues, but some of these other real issues. And, and I, I'm sorry, one last thing. It is a white and black issue, but it also isn't. I mean, I just want to be real with y'all. It is because white supremacy is a real thing. And it's a real thing in foreign policy making, from the NGOs to the government. But it's also a black thing because we're selling our babies. And yeah, some of these choices are horrible, and also we need to take a very, very close look at some of our cultural norms and the ways in which we allow our circumstances to define some of the individual acts that we take upon. It's both and, and we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time on that one. This concludes What in the World for now. Thank you to the New Bethel Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. for letting the show share their panel discussion. And a special thank you to my good friend Apollo for helping me put the final touches on this episode. Remember, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at What in the World Podcast. And we are now on SoundCloud. Just type in What in the World Podcast and you can listen to all of our previous shows. In true fashion, we end this show on a happy note by playing a song that keeps all of us in a good mood. And, and the song for this episode is Rewind by Black Wednesday. I'm also going to leave you with an excerpt of a speech by Dr. Martin Luther King titled Beyond Vietnam, A Time to Break the Silence. 
all too often in America, we are told and many of us believe that our issues at home are separate and apart from the challenges faced by those abroad. So we remain silent. We pretend like we don't see anything wrong or we abuse the idea of national sovereignty to justify injustice. Dr. King, known for his nonviolent philosophy of achieving civil rights, delivered a jaw-dropping denunciation of America's foreign policy engagement in Vietnam. And he even drew together the connection between civil rights in America and the issues happening abroad. So if he can do it, we certainly can do it. I hope that from this speech and from the panelists, you can pick just one action you can take to fight modern day slavery and human trafficking wherever it exists. There's even a hotline you can call to report suspicious activity. If you see something, don't be silent. Call 1-888-373-7888 or contact your local authorities. Thank you again for listening. Until next time. Now they languish under our bombs and consider us not their fellow Vietnamese, the real enemy. They must move on or be destroyed by our bombs. So they go, primarily women and children and the aged. They wandered into the hospitals with at least 20 casualties from American firepower for one Viet Cong inflicted injury. They see the children degraded by our soldiers as they beg for food. They see the children selling their sisters to our soldiers, soliciting for their mothers. The more sophisticated surely realize that we are on the side of the wealthy and the secure while we create a hell for the poor. Somehow this madness must cease. We must stop now. I speak as a citizen of the world, for the world as it stands aghast at the path we have taken. I speak as one who loves America. To the leaders of our own nation, we are now faced with the fact, my friends, that tomorrow is today. We still have a choice today, nonviolent coexistence annihilation. We must move past indecision to action. We must find new ways to speak for peace in Vietnam and justice throughout the developing world, a world that borders on our doors. If we do not act, we shall surely be dragged down the long, dark, and shameful corridors of time. For those who possess power without compassion, might without morality, and strength without sight, now let us begin. Now let us rededicate ourselves to the long and bitter but beautiful struggle for a new world.